Let's open our Bibles. I uh, would like to go back to 2 Corinthians this morning and uh, pick back up where we had uh, preached uh, last, I believe it was last Sunday or Sunday before. Um, and uh, I want to pick back up where we had kind of intended to go, but didn't make it there. Um, we began to look at this man, Paul, and uh, what uh, drove him to be the Christian that he was. And uh, we looked a little bit at a few things that they sang about. They sing about the surety of knowing where we're going. We know who uh, in whom we have believed, and we're persuaded that he's able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. And so uh, he starts off in chapter 5 of the book of 2 Corinthians, and he talks about the doubtless security that he has. Um, he kept in mind that he, he knew that if his earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, he had a building of God, a house made, not made with hands, that was eternal in the heavens. So it encouraged Paul to remember that no matter what happened to him down here, uh, he had a home uh, waiting on him that he wanted to be at anyway, which was what he described as far better. Uh, to be present, we know, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory to be prayed out of. Uh, when you close your eyes here, you'll awaken in a lake in, a, in the hell, or you'll awaken your eyes uh, and they will behold the Lord Jesus. Uh, so it'll be one or the other. There is no in-between. But for the Christian, when we leave this life, we're present immediately with the Lord. And I thank God for that. So he, he knew a great deal of the power of his resurrection. He knew uh, that no matter what you did to his body... I heard a man preaching one time and he was telling a story about how he was doing the graveside service. And uh, it must have been somewhere down south, uh, just from my assumptions. But he said as they backed up to that grave, uh, uh, I mean, as they stood there beside that grave, he heard a beep uh, from a machine that was backing up towards the grave. And it was full of concrete. And he, he sat there and watched and they poured a load of concrete on top of that grave. Uh, with that uh, casket in there. And he said, what are you all doing? Why are you doing this? And they said, well, due to recent floods that we've seen uh, that uh, uh, the water table, the water level can rise and the caskets can literally float up out of the ground. And so they were putting uh, cement on top to weigh that casket down to keep the water from floating it out. And uh, he was going on. What he was talking about is, I don't care if you dig a pit a thousand foot deep, one toot from the trumpet and pour concrete on it. He is coming up out of the grave, and he will never uh, be uh, held down by the grave. Uh, he is coming up out of the grave, the power of the resurrection. And uh, Paul knew about that. He said, I, this, though, uh, Job knew about it. The skin worms that uh, devour and destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, uh, whom my eyes shall behold and not another. So it comforted him greatly that, um, uh, you know, that, um, yes, um, there's going to be times we're called to do things that are going to put us in compromising positions. You young ones may serve in the military one day and uh, uh, may have to put your life on the line in defense of uh, freedom and liberty and others. 
and you better know whom you have believed and uh, know that no matter what man shall do unto you, uh, you have got a new body and a new home that you're headed to, which is far better anyhow. And so Paul knew that. So it didn't bother him to uh, get in front of kings and men that were um, hostile to his Christ uh, because he knew that there was coming a day uh, that uh, anyway, he was on the winning side. Amen. And so for in this we groan even earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house. And uh, he had a great desire of that. So we see uh, the groaning to be clothed. He had a great confidence in this. We know for a fact uh, these things are going to happen. Uh, This is not a a wishful thinking that you and I have. We have faith, Bible faith, which is founded upon solid principles uh, that uh, it takes a whole lot more... um, Uh, It takes a whole lot more, we call it faith, it's really not faith, a whole lot more belief to believe you come up from a monkey and you just die and that's the end of it. Uh, It takes a whole lot more to believe that than to look outside this morning and know that this creation has a creator behind it. And so he had great confidence in knowing, and me and you've got to have the same great confidence in a doubtless security. Um, I've seen many people battle with not knowing whether or not they're saved over the years. And uh, I, feel, I feel for you. I'm, I, I want you to know it is a terrible place to be uh, to not know whether or not you're really saved. Uh, you need to know whom you have believed and know where you're going when you live here and when you leave here. And we have a no-so salvation in this book. These things have I written unto you, little children, that you may know. Right? You, you, you have a salvation that you don't just have to, well, when I die, I hope I'll end up in heaven. We've got a salvation, Brother J.C., we know for a fact, as just as much as I know, uh, I know it by intuition, not by my intellect. You, you, can't, you can't apprehend these things in the intellect, right? I talked about that some a little while back. Your intuition is different from your intellect and in, 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 in how that apprehends truth. Your intellect uh, learns things by uh, reason, mainly by the flesh. Your flesh says, uh, as a three-part being, you want to touch, taste, see, feel. Uh, uh, the, the intuition that you have is different from your intellect. I know I'm me. Does that sound crazy? <laughs> it sounds crazy, doesn't it? If I walked in here this morning, and, and every, how many people are in here? 7,500 people. How many people's in here? If I walked in here this morning, and every person in here looked exactly like me, God have mercy on us. Did you hear him back there? They call him Monkey Gummery. I'd say amen, Brother Montgomery. And what I'd say is, dear Lord, I didn't realize God made so many ugly people. But, uh, and they sounded like me. Good Lord. That may be worse. But if everybody looked exactly like me and sounded exactly like, I mean to a T, looked and sounded just like me, I wouldn't wonder which one was me. Right? I know exactly, I know I'm me. I don't have to reason that. I don't have to learn that. I know I am me. I know I'm alive. I don't deduce that by uh, a set of facts. I know I'm alive. I may not know what it's called, what life is or what it's called, but I know I'm alive. I know I'm me. (laughs) By that same type of intuition, I know I'm God's. I think that intuition resides in the spirit of what things knoweth uh, of the man, save the spirit of man which is in him. 
When we die, the Bible says, in the day that thou shalt eat, thou shalt surely die. We know we died spiritually. Our spirit died. Well, is it dead completely? No, because the spirit of man knows the things of man. So it's not dead in the sense of annihilation. It's dead in the sense of towards God. My spirit's dead towards God. I can't commune with God in the spirit as a sinner. That's why I'm quickened by the spirit who was dead in trespasses and sins. I've been quickened, made alive in my spirit. And so now I can worship God in spirit and in truth. My spirit can commune with God now because God's spiritual. God is a spirit. He dwells in a light which no man can approach. No man at any time has seen God. He cannot be be apprehended by the eyes or the ears, the music that we enjoyed. We didn't enjoy it with our nose this morning. Right? We enjoyed it with our ears. God gave you ears to enjoy the beauty. You you don't enjoy nature uh, uh, with the ear. When you woke up this morning, you saw how beautiful that sun was shining, and you saw those trees full of leaves, and the wind was just blowing them casually, and you looked out at the beauty of God's creation. You were able to apprehend that beauty, not with your ears, but with your eyes. And the same thing with the Spirit. You apprehend God by the Spirit, so that I don't have a witness of man to tell me that I'm God's. By na- I just know that I'm God's. I just know. I don't know how to put that into words other than just the same way I know that I'm me this morning. I know for a fact beyond a shadow of a doubt that I belong to God. And no one will ever reason you out of that. If you are born by the power of the illumination of the Spirit of God who who brought the reality of Christ to your heart uh, by a miraculous work of the Spirit, not by the wisdom of men's words. Because then somebody smarter than me, I always tell my children this all the time, I can't tell you whether you're saved because if I tell you that, somebody smarter than me will come along and tell you you're not. You're going to be confused all your life. But when God, when that reality of God, how do I know, Brother Rupi, I mean, there's times uh, when I, I know all of us, what brings the most doubt into our life is sin. When I do things or I have done things in the past, I would think, man, a saved man couldn't do that. How, how, how am I saved? That thought wouldn't hardly go two minutes without just something in me. I can't deny him. He's in me. I know I'm his. And I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me, Lord. And the same one, I was wondering if his child, I'd be crying out to him, asking him to help me. It's just know that I'm God's. By intuition, not by my intellect. Not because I read books that taught me about the theology of God. That You learn theology in the intellect. You learn about God. But to know God this morning is an awakening of your spirit to the reality of another realm in which God lies. A spiritual realm. So, Brother Reed, you're driving down the road, and uh, you listen to that music. Uh, not ZZ Top. You're listening to Christian music. <laughs> no. and you, somebody comes on and sings, I can make it. And you say, oh, my. There's something in your... There's something in there that you couldn't really probably explain to me, but I know it, uh, that just is alive in there. Somebody starts talking about Jesus and how he's going to help me through this life. And, how it's, and there's something inside of you just going, you may not say it, 
But inside of you, it's going, amen, that's right. That's exactly right. Amen. That's what God did for me. He does this for me. You know it. You know it this morning as much as you know you're you sitting in this pews looking at an ugly preacher. You know it. Nobody said amen to that. Thank you. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? It's wonderful to be saved, but it's wonderful to know that you're saved. And God wants you to know that. I, I don't believe in a God that just, I've seen people toil and toil and toil, just, just worried and, and worried to death, worried about whether or not God, uh, God saved them, whether or not they're saved. And I feel so much pity. I, I, I'm not attacking anybody that feels that way. I know how terrible that can be. But I want you to know, I don't want you to give up. I want you to just press on and keep on until God settles it in your heart that you know. God because God can do that no preacher no daddy no wife no husband nobody in Rome County can tell you you belong to God but the Holy Ghost of God he reveals Christ to a person the Holy Ghost who's just as much God and you can't see him but he's as real as I am he's a person and he will reveal to you the God that is in heaven that when Isaiah saw him he was around the throne with those seraphims and they had between their eyes and between to cover their feet and between they flew around and they were crying holy 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 Lord God Almighty and you can see that God realer than any seraphim sees him sitting in the heavens this morning wow that's amazing that's, isn't that miraculous that fallen people like me and you can know God that intimately so that when you wake up this morning and uh, you think, boy, I really, I really failed yesterday. I really I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have thought that or whatever happened to you. And you wake up, and one of the first thoughts when God wakes me up, one thought I just think, oh, God, thank you. Oh, God, is about one of the first words that comes out of my mouth each morning. Oh, God. I hope, you, I hope you're here this morning. I hope you know God that way. He's as real and can be known in a way far greater than you can ever know who I am. My grandmother talks about her husband, Pat. He was such a great man. She's told me probably everything that she can ever recollect about that man. She, I've told you before, she's died, uh, he passed away, I believe. 35 years ago or greater. She's never even had another date with a man. She loves him as much today as I believe my wife loves me today. She loves that man. And he's been gone a long time. And she's described to me how sweet of a man he was, how much he loved her, and told me what he looked like, how strong he was, working on them farms. And she'd tell me about how they, he, was, uh, he had the boat that, uh, that was uh, delivering um, the, uh, his uh, younger brother, uh, that was uh, going to storm the beaches. And she was telling me about all in the war. And she gave me his Bible that he had during the war. And so I've got his little pocket Bible and things. And she's told me, and I, I know that man about as well as probably somebody that lived in that day. Probably knowing, but uh, in my mind. But the reality is I will never know that man. Ever. I know about him. I've seen a picture of him. But he's dead to me. I'll never hear his voice. I'll never feel the embrace that he might give you. I'll, I'll never shake his hand. I'll never see the look in his eye. 
I'll never be able to ever, 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 ever know that man in the flesh. He's dead. I can learn a lot about him. That's the same way with Jesus. You can read the Bible. You can hear people talk about him. We can witness to it. We can testify of him. We can say all the great things about him. We can tell you how lovely he is. We can tell you he's the rose of Sharon. We can tell you how he gave his life as a propitiation for your sins. We can tell you when about doing good. We can tell you all the things that we know. I can tell you how he wakes me up in the morning with loving arms and ready to help me, to prepare me for the next day. And I can tell you how many times he's just gotten with me when I've been alone and in the darkness of my mind thought that I was literally coming undone and God just settled me with deep peace. I can tell you all those things about Jesus, but until you're awakened by the Holy Ghost with the truth and the reality of who he is, you will never know him like I know him or any saved person. I can tell you all about him. You, how many of you get frustrated with that? You go to witness to somebody and you say, why wouldn't they love him? If they knew him like I do, there's no way they couldn't love him. But they can't know him like you do. <laughs> They're dead in sin. And I wouldn't settle it short of knowing my Savior uh, for anything short than a revelation from heaven. I want, if, I, if I need to know something, uh, God knows my number. He knows where to find me. And I want him to tell me. Uh, it's amazing how uh, often uh, people will come to you. and it's, it's amazing how everybody else has got an opinion of what you should do. Everybody else, God told me. It's amazing God tells everybody else what I'm supposed to be doing and doesn't tell me. They'll either tell you you're saved or you're lost or if you're battling with having a deep battle like that, you're probably called to preach. Men got all kinds of ideas about. And can I just give you some assurance this morning? I want to give you some assurance about something. God will tell you what he wants you to know. And he has no problem doing it. Right? If he has to make a donkey speak, Tyler, he can make one speak. And see, they, a scientist can come along to you and say, well, that's impossible. He doesn't have the, 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 uh, the way his diaphragm and the vocal cords, they can, they can scientifically tell you it's impossible for a donkey to speak human words. But if God can make him and create him, he can make him speak. Right? God is known in the spirit. That, that's what uh, I, I got ahead of myself a little bit this morning. Uh, but um, I, I've been through all of my life. I've been through times that I had seen other people and how they love Jesus and how they, how, you know, and their, their testimony, how, how it affected me and, you know, and, and all of those things. And I thought, what's wrong with me that I can't? And I'd go down the altar and I'd cry. And I couldn't tell you. I wish I had a dime for every dime I done that. Uh, but there was a night 13 years ago that God just opened my mind in a way I can't explain it and introduced me to himself. And I've never got over it. And you never will either. If you just just wait on God, let God speak to your heart. God, God, God has no problem. I don't care if it's concerning his will. I don't care if it's about the assurance of salvation. God has no problem speaking to you and letting you know what he wants you to know. Now, he may use people. He may use preaching. He may use a, a verse of the Bible. But God will speak to you. He wants you to know you're saved. 
You know what? And a lot of our independent churches, we, we, have, we have tried to get everybody in the church saved again 400 times over. Because they might fail next week. Well, they're probably not even saved. How ridiculous is that? I've seen some Christians do some mean old ugly things. You don't believe that, Tyler? I'm going to tell you how I know that's true. Because the person I've seen do it is standing right in front of you. Christian can be mean. Christians can do things that are... And it's not that you're lost every time you do it. Now you may be, I don't know. You're just going to have to go to God and get the answers. But I know this, when somebody preaches salvation, I kind of got on my text a little bit. But it's just on my heart. Because I'm just thankful for the assurance. If it was on me to live a certain way, to know whether or not I was saved, if, uh, if, I, if I sinned or if I did this, you think about the church of God and some of these Pentecostal churches, and I always ask them, well, which sin is it that you lose it? Because I don't want to do that one. Right? I've never got an answer to that, by the way. Well, how miserable is that to live? How miserable is it to go around and not knowing every time you fail? Every time you have a thought you shouldn't have, you're worried to death. God's going to take it away from you. How miserable. In the same way, I can't rest my assurance upon me. Now, my actions and the manifestation of my heart, may, what I do and how I live, may manifest some things to me about how I am. That is certainly true. But the basis of the assurance of my salvation rests in a place that nobody can get to it. Not even me. I couldn't change it if I wanted to. I couldn't get away from him if I wanted to this morning. And I promise you, I don't want away from him. Because he abideth faithful. Boy, I wish I had the words. I don't have the, the mind to be able to express it. But I just know that I know that I know that I know that I know this morning that God has saved me and lives in me. I just know that. And I pray to good Lord this morning that you know, that you know, not based on because some preacher said if you were this, there's no way you could be saved. Or mom said this or dad said that. Or you have got to come to a place that you divorce yourself from the opinions of people and just go to God and say, God, I've got to have, I'm going to die if you don't tell me where I stand with you. You're just going to have to get that from God. Because no book, no preacher, nobody else can shake you when it stands on the foundation of God. You can preach salvation and it don't make me doubt. I just think to myself, Lord, <laughs> thank you for what you did for me. That's what you did. That's usually what I'm doing. I'm not trying to say, I'm just trying to say this morning, you, God wants you to have that kind of assurance. That's the kind of God we serve. He loves people. God's desire is not that anybody lives in this misery. How many of you daddies this morning, how many of you dads this morning uh, would just like to play a cruel game with your kids? And then start telling them, hey, we don't know who your dad is. Who is sick enough in here to want to do that? Please leave if you would. You got some problems. Nobody would do that. Is that what God said? If you... Uh, being evil can give good gifts to your children how much more shall your father in heaven he loves you in a way your daddy never will be able to he wants you to know and know and know and know and I wouldn't give up until I heard him say it what do you mean say it you hear God no 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 I hear him in here 
whole lot more real. I, I, especially you young people this morning. I want, here's the verse I come to and I got ahead of myself and I apologize for that. But we look at the, the doubt, the security that he had, what caused Paul. Uh, I think one of the greatest motivating factors in Paul's life was that he had this, this uh, great confidence. He just knew. He knew, he knew, he knew, he knew. And uh, there's a lot of things that he knew. Uh, but uh, one of them was that he was secure in the Lord. He knew what his future was. And then he looked at the dreaded judgment seat. We went through that and talked about uh, the judgment seat and how we should consider ourselves and others and the judgment seat. And that was a cause for his going. And then the last one I, I want to mention, uh, just uh, just take a couple of these sentences and look at the dead sinners. This is what caused him to go the way that he did. So 2 Corinthians 5 and uh, look at verse number 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. And we covered that verse. But for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, sober, excuse me, it's for your cause. Uh, I kind of feel like in verse number 14, he's basically saying, I've got the can't help it. <laughs> no matter what you think, you may think I'm crazy and you may think I'm just, whatever you think about me is really irregardless. It's for your call. I can't help it because the love of Christ constraineth me. And uh, that's what he says in this next verse. And so when he considers these dead sinners, the one thing that he sees beforehand, he sees the gift uh, that constrains in verse number 14. And I just want to take one verse, and then we may come back here tonight and finish this chapter. Uh, but I want to go to Acts 28 and just show you a verse uh, that deals with this constraining. So turn to Acts, the book of Acts of the Apostles, in chapter number uh, 28 and verse 8. Uh, and just look quickly at this word constraineth. So in that verse he says, uh, For the love of Christ constraineth us. And we'll go on and get the rest of that. But the first part of this, he says, the love of Christ constraineth us. And so there's many people that believe and they say, Well, in that verse he's talking about his love for Christ. But I don't believe that's what this verse is saying because Paul has already said um, that here, the Bible's already said to us, for herein is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. He loved me first. And I think that's the love that it's referring to here, Brother Jason. The love of Christ, what's controlling me is not my love for him. What's controlling me and moving me, what is causing me to do the things that I'm doing, is when I consider the love that Christ has for me and for the world. And when I look at the love of Christ and how he loved dead men, the reason that he had to be the sacrifice, it, it says, for we thus judge that if he died for all, then we're all dead. There was nobody else alive that could be offered. Everybody else was dead. <laughs> anyway, and so he says, the love of Christ constraineth me. Now, uh, that word, just look at verse number 8 of Acts 28, if you're there. It came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and uh, of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and he healed him. Now, that word is the same word we have translated here for constraineth, not fever, sick of. When we say, I'm wrapping things up here, but when we say things like, uh, Brother Clint's got a fever. Well, I know what you mean, but really the reality is, 
the fever has, Brother Clint. The fever's the one telling me how I feel. I've not got control of the fever. The fever has controlled me. It's aching my body. And if you're a man, you can't do nothing. Now, if you're a lady, you can go on to your job and take some time off. You'll be fine. But if you're a man in here, if you're like me, hey, it's over. And uh, somebody, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm, by your laughs, I know what you're, okay. And so, uh, a poor little of us, we sit there and uh, we can't do anything. We lay in the bed, we chill, we ache. I don't have control of that. I'd stop it at any moment that I could. It's the fever that is controlling me. So I can't just get up and go do the things that I want to do. The fever is telling me, no, you're going to lay right there because you don't feel good. Right? That's the same thing that he's saying here. Constraineth is the word sick, so not the fever. So, so what he's saying is, it's the love of Christ that's constraining. It's the love that is telling me what to do. It, when I consider all the things that he does, when I consider his vast love for the world and for me, I can't help but to do the things that I do. And so the motivating force in your life has to be not based upon who you are, but you have to keep your eyes on Jesus and consider the great love wherewith he's loved you. And that will cause you to get up sometimes and go <laughs> and tell others which is that's where he's we're getting to but the greatest motivation in my life to live like a Christian is not because of anything else in this world but when I not his holiness I might say and he's holy I believe that controls all of his other attributes I believe God's holy but when I look at his holiness that's not necessarily what motivates me to want to he said the terror of the Lord did motivate him some. But what controlled my life was the love of Christ. And I can try to say all the things I like to say. We got to go home. But if, if you're having some trouble motivating, if I was you, I'd just sit back as one man said. If you'll start thinking, you'll start thinking. Now, it's hard for us in the South to differentiate those two words. If you'll start T-H-I-N-K, thinking, you'll start thinking. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I still didn't get it. T-H-A-N-K. If you'll start thinking, you'll start thinking. And uh, so, uh, uh, when he said, when I consider the works of thy hands, I figured, when, he, when he got to thinking of the love of Christ... He could not help but to do the things that he did. He said, it's really, it's not, it's really not your response to it. Isn't that what he just said in the verse? You, some of you think we're crazy. Some of you think we're perfectly in the right mind. It really, it really to me, it, it doesn't matter. It, I, I'm not playing what I'm doing based on your reaction to it. I'm just doing it because when I look at how much God loves me, I can't help but try to get everyone else around me involved in that same type of love. And when you first got saved, Christian, and I will come back here tonight, but if you, when you, especially when you first got saved, you'll agree with me. It was so good you wanted everybody else to have it. Amen. What happened? Life happened, didn't it? You got kicked around. Somebody betrayed you. You sinned. You messed up. You did something. Somebody else sinned. Somebody else did something. There's a whole list of reasons. We've all got them. None of them are valid, but we've all got them. 
But something happened that caused me to just get cold towards people. And it's happened in your life, and it hasn't. It it will. It doesn't have to, but it will. So I think the best thing that we can do is be like Paul did. Start considering the great security we have, the future that we have, the judgment seat, and do not forget of the great love of Christ that he had towards you, and he still has that for all men. See, he still loves the dopers, the drunks, the alcoholics, the religious. He still loves them. You may not. They may make you uncomfortable. You may not want to be around them. And I don't want to be around all that sin. But uh, sometimes we get cold in our love because iniquity is abounding. His never has. He still loves sinners just as much as he always has. Just as much as he did when your daddy was down south of the river 13 years ago, a mess and a half. Just as much as God loved me then, there's sinners walking God's earth today that he loves just the same. And it's our responsibility. We've been given a ministry, and I don't want to deal with that because once we go into that, we'll need to try to take our time a little bit and deal with this great ministry that we've been entrusted with. So I just uh, will end here looking at this gift that constrains, and it gave him his genuine uh, concern. It's, he said, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that's where I get that point there, that uh, sin, when he considers dead sinners. When you look at people, we've got to consider... They're not just bad off. I look at people. I feel sorry for them. I've got family members, people that I know and love so much. I'm thinking of a lady right now. If she knew what life could be apart from drugs, but she just can't get herself away from it. And when I look at those things, I think of how sad. Look, she's got a kid, and that boy doesn't even know his mom hardly. And you think of, you think of those things, and... That's understandable. But we need to remember that's not just a person that is, has this sin or that sin or this fallout or that fallout. That person's dead. And if they don't get changed by the marvelous grace of God, what you see temporally here in this life will not touch the suffering that they're headed for because they're dead. And if that doesn't motivate you to want to try to help others come to Christ, I'd be seriously worried about myself. It ought to cause us when we consider and look at people and see beyond their sins and beyond their failures and beyond what we disagree with and all of that and see at the heart of that person they're dead in sins. And if I don't get them the gospel, they'll stay dead. We ought to pray like everything relies on God and work like everything relies on us. Do all that we can while we can because they're dead. So we'll go and we'll finish up this chapter. I'm finished, but the love of Christ constrain us because we thus judge that if he died for all, everybody's dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not live henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Boy, what a wonderful. We'll start there and we pick back up tonight and look a little bit further into this ministry. And uh, he realized that because God died for all, we were all dead. Wherefore, then we, uh, now we know no man after the flesh. That's what I'll uh, try to deal with a little bit when we get back here tonight.
the love of Christ constraineth us. If you're here this morning, maybe the, you're saved and uh, you'd like to come and pray. Brother Reed's going to come. Miss Snow's going to come. We're going to have a uh, song for you if you're saved and you'd like to come and do business with the Lord, maybe about something. But if you're here and you're lost, uh, maybe the Lord's dealt with you about this matter of salvation. Then this altar is open and you can come and you can meet the Lord like you've never known him. Like nobody can describe him. I thought about, and I've never preached it, but I've got a message at home and I've never preached it. God is not who mama said he was. And that's the truth. When God revealed himself to me, I found out he was like nothing else anybody had ever described. Wasn't there one lady that came from a far country and she said the half has not been told. The half's not been told how glorious Jesus is. And if you'll come, you'll get to meet him. Lord, we love you. Thank you for saving us that are saved this morning. I pray for that soul may be near as hell this morning. Lord, that you'd please deal with them in great conviction and power. Open their minds, help them to see. And I pray for that Christian, Lord, that may need some help this morning as well. We all, Lord stand in need of you and stand in need of doing more for the cause of Christ. So just help all of us and help those, Lord, that need to come this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Reed. 316. Stand.